The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. In order to truly become part of the global business environment, your business needs to constantly change and adapt to a variety of new constants. Welcome to Leadership Beyond Borders with Kimberly J. Lewis. We will help you navigate these changes on today's program and help you think beyond the boundaries. The opportunities are limitless if you are prepared. Now, here is your host, Kimberly J. Lewis. Hello, I'm Kimberly Lewis, and welcome to Leadership Beyond Borders, the program that makes people aware of the best leadership practices, leadership trends, and thoughts about leadership. In our program, we will be bringing you leadership experts from across the globe that will not only talk to you about great leadership practices, but will talk to you about the impact constant change is having on your organization and your people and what kind of leadership is needed to drive long-term success in these turbulent times. We're going to talk about everything from gender balance and leadership to generational and cultural business values that may impact your organization or your individual career. We'll bring you success stories, share with you some of the challenges leaders face today, and we want to provoke you and make you think. And why are we doing this? It's because the one thing I learned in my 20 years C-level executive experience in over 18 countries is good leadership is not easy to come by in a global economy that is constantly changing. We face managing a dynamic and diverse workforce that is affected by challenging social, political, and regulatory norms, and even this poses a challenge even to the best leaders. And exchange is good. It's often good to hear from others what they are doing, what are the trends, what brings success, and what are the challenges we face today. So just think of us as your informative leadership coach and mentor. We'll connect you with the thoughts of others, and you can communicate back to us by sending your thoughts and insights to leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com, or like our Facebook page, Leadership Beyond Borders Ponytail Talk. Or tweet with me, Kimberly Lewis, at LeadershipGBT. We're on every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time. Or you can listen to us anytime on the Voice America Business Channel. Now, if you're in leadership position or aspire to be in one, regardless if you're in international business or local, make sure you join us each week and we will make sure that you take away something useful for either yourself or your business. Now, in last week's episode, we spoke to Anne Franca from the Chartered Management Institute in London, and we talked about the future of leadership. And one of the most important aspects she talked about in any management relationship was trust. But trust is very fragile, and it can be gained and lost in a second. One small incident can have a great impact on any relationship. In business, this incident could be anything from not delivering something on time to not keeping a promise, from not delivering quality, not abiding by guidelines or budgets, or simply by a misunderstanding. How many times have you felt the lack of trust from your employees, and how many times have you lost trust in an employee? It happens all the time. Some research shows that 49% of employees trust Cedar 
senior management, and that's not a big number. And the scores for CEOs are even lower at 28%. And I've seen studies that even have worse numbers. But when it comes to senior managers trusting their employees, I really had to research to find some studies because trust is really a two-way street. But I didn't find a lot about that. But I did find that many leaders also have a lack of trust in their employees. And that would make sense if it's a two-way street. But we need trust in business because a strong sense of trust in an employee-manager relationship encourages loyalty from both sides, increases productivity, and maintains employee retention. But those are kind of no-brainers, right? But it also is proven to contribute to a company's overall results. When trust is there, employees believe in the leadership of the company, and the senior management does not feel the need to micromanage. So how do we build trust? People decide whether to extend trust or not. So what components help people extend trust to others? And does trust mean something different to different peoples? Basically, trust, according to most dictionaries, means confidence in or reliance on certain attributes, such as integrity, strength, or ability. But does everyone share this definition or understanding? I'm not so sure. And that's why we have an expert guest today who is an expert on the subject of trust. I would like to welcome John Blakey, CEO and elite sports coach, speaker, and author. John was named as one of the top thought leaders globally on organizational trust at the Trust Across America Awards in 2016. His prize-winning doctoral research on trust at Aston Business School resulted in the acclaimed book, The Trusted Executive, published by Colgan Page in 2016. John has a lot of practical experience as a highly highly successful business leader and a pioneer in executive coaching profession. He is the founder of the Trusted Executive Foundation in London, London and the co-author of Challenging Coaching, published in 2012. John is joining us today from London, and I'm joining you from Prague in the Czech Republic. Welcome, John. Yeah, hi Kimberly. It's a lovely sunny afternoon here in uh, in the in, uh, UK. So I hope you've got similar similar in Prague. Yes, it's quite, actually quite warm. I think summer has finally begun. So we're off, yeah, we're <laughs> off to a good start. Um, well, it's great to have you. Uh, we saw each other in London at uh, when you gave a great presentation a couple months ago, and I thought there was a great opportunity to get you on Voice America to talk a little bit more. So. I think, John, my first question to you would be, how did you get interested in the issue of trust? Was it through research or was there an incident that got you interested? Yeah, I think to do um, a a doctorate on trust and to put all the the time and and effort that I've put into trust over the the, the last years, um, you you need a spark, you know, you need something that ignites the spark. And for me, it was a spark that ignited him. Uh, in my corporate life, um, in one of my roles, I'd just been appointed to a, a board-level role in a PLC organization, and uh, I'd been in the job for two weeks, and I bumped into the CEO of the organization after a couple of weeks, and uh, he said to me, how's it going? And I said, yeah, it's going great. In fact, yesterday, we signed the biggest deal we'd ever signed in our sector, which was a 32 million pound outsourcing deal with Lotus Cars. Uh, and he said to me, you think that's good, do you? And I said, yeah, I think it's great. And then a finger came out and went straight into my face and said, you know your problem, Blakey. And I thought, 
No, but I'm about to be unveiled of that lifetime of ignorance. Um, you're too nice. In fact, it wasn't even you're too nice. There was, a, there was another word before nice, but I can't use that word on this uh, reputable uh, show. Um, but he said to me, yeah, John, you're too nice. And then he walked off. And I was stood there thinking, too nice, you know, too nice for what? You know, too nice to get to the top without cooking the books. Too nice to lead a team without stealing their energy along the way. You know, too nice to deliver outstanding results in the slightly psychopathic world of corporate life. Um, and I think that was the, the spark that got me interested in trust because I wanted to sort of prove to myself that trusted uh, folk, trusted executives could also deliver outstanding results in modern business. And I wanted to then help others who also wanted to prove that point. And everything I've done since then has been motivated by, by that desire because um, I actually believe that Charles, um, uh, Charles uh, Allen summed it up best uh, when he said, the world needs leaders who rely upon the power of trust rather than those who trust in power. So I want to work with leaders who are wanting to rely upon the power of trust uh, not trust in power, and I want to help those. And, and really, all the work that I've done on trust is is to try and give people a roadmap. Uh, if they're focused on that challenge, then I hope that this roadmap will help them get from A to B. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's great. I mean, when when a real life experience, and I've had a few of those experiences myself in my career, mm-hmm. and you just kind of sit there tongue tied, saying, "What did I do wrong?" <laughs> and it doesn't yeah. really it doesn't really inspire trust in the employee. Um, and and probably I, I think you know, this happens quite a lot. And I've seen that trust. Um, people are talking a lot more about trust now. It's it's kind of become a buzzword and it's moved beyond from talking only about integrity, but it's talking about really different aspects of trust. And and you and your research have, have come up with aspects of trust that kind of go against the old model of authority, intellectual ability, and profit. Okay. And so what what have you realized in your in your research about trust? Yeah, I think when I reflected on, 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 you know, my own career and when I had the opportunity to read, you know, all the, the research that's being done on trust, I realized that I'd grown up in my corporate career in, in a world that, a uh, business world that did worship profit um, and that was held up by these two sacred pillars of, on the one hand, intellectual uh, ability and authority. Um, but what I uh, experience in the world now and with, with the clients that I work with as a, as a coach and with what I read and what I research is that that world is shifting. Now, it's shifting at different times in different places. And I know that later we're going to talk about the cross-cultural aspects of this. Um, but I think there is a general trend that that model is breaking down and that there aren't enough of us anymore who are willing to worship profit. We want to worship something broader than that in terms of the purpose of business. And I talk about the triple bottom line, the shift from the single bottom line of profit to the triple bottom line of results, relationships, and reputation or people, profit, and planet as it's referred to by other commentators. So I think we've got a shift going on in terms of the purpose of business, but we've also got something happening with those two sacred pillars. Um, Intellectual ability is now no longer seen as sufficient for leadership, uh, you know, holistic leadership. And that pillar of authority is under great pressure um, from a lot of converging trends, and most notably the trend of of increased transparency in uh, leadership life, which has led to uh, 
sort of revelations about various scandals in, in leadership, whether that be in business or in sport or in religion or wherever we seem to look, this transparency has revealed abuses of authority. And therefore, I think a lot of people are losing trust in authority. And therefore, we have to replace those two pillars with something better for a 21st century business that that is serving a broader purpose. And the three pillars that are out there in terms of the pillars of trust are, on the one hand, ability, the second pillar of integrity, and then this third pillar of, pillar of benevolence, which I think is the most intriguing bit of, uh, pillar because in, in 20 years in, in uh, corporate life, I, I never once was taught as a leader to be more benevolent. And I think when I had that comment from my CEO about being too nice, he was basically saying, don't bring any of that benevolence into this world because we don't need it. Well, I think, I think this business world does now need that third pillar if it's going to create a strong enough glue of trust to keep um, our organizations performing as uh, effectively as we would like. Well, when I, when I think about trust, I think uh, it just jumps to my mind, two kinds of trust, cognitive and effective. And um, if I look at the old model that you're talking about with profit, ability, and authority, to be honest with you, that's that's pretty much all cognitive. Okay. Yeah. Um, um, so we, we're kind of dealing. And when I talk about cognitive, cognitive to our, 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 our listeners, I'm kind of talking about head or heart. Okay. So the old model is about the head. Okay, yeah. and now this new model you're talking about is a little bit different. It seems to me like it's it's adding the heart in a little bit. Is that correct? Yeah, I think uh, you know uh, emotional intelligence. You know, uh, you know, in but back in the eighties, nobody nobody knew that emotional intelligence existed. I mean, we we'd we'd sort of partitioned that out of business. It was very much a logical left brain, linear, uh, analytical mindset. But I think, um, you know, last 15 years, we've, we've seen a more effective uh, mindset come into business and therefore that's affected many areas. And I think it affects this area of trust and, and the effective pillar of trust is this, is this um, benevolence pillar. Um, so we now need to, I think, focus much more on the, uh, the heart of trust as well as the head and, of course, as well as, as, as the spirit. I think the spirit of trust is very much wrapped up in that pillar of integrity. So, so in a way, we've got a pillar for each of you know, the head, the heart, and the spirit. And I think um, that, again, mirrors this trend to have a more holistic version of, of leadership in our in institutional life and to emerge from this industrial revolution era where we seem to sort of, uh, as I say, partition out the heart and the spirit of business. And we really just relied upon the head and the head alone. Yeah. And so if you're looking at those three pillars, there's got to be some behaviors that that support those pillars. Is that right or not? Or Yeah. And that, that's really what, what where my research has been focused, Kimberly, is that, you know, when I came to wrestle with this challenge of trust and I looked at what was out there, these three pillars of ability, integrity and benevolence have, have been out there for many years. They may not be known about in many um, leadership development uh, uh, programs in in the practical world, but they're certainly there in the academic world in terms of research on trust. But what's harder to find is how do I do this ability, integrity and benevolence? What are the behavioral habits that I as a leader need to demonstrate if I'm going to tick those boxes? And, and that's really been the focus of my research, interviewing chief execs and MDs about trust and surveying, surveying um, senior managers about trust to try and really drive out what are the behaviors and the, the outcome of that research, which are captured in 
uh, the book, The Trusted Executive, are these nine habits, the, these nine habits of trust. So really three habits of ability, three habits of integrity, three habits of benevolence. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, John, we're going we're gonna to be going to a short break. And when we come back, I'd really be interested in what those, what those habits are. And, um, you know, are they transparent across cultures? And, and you know, how do, how do we deal with this? Okay. So uh, we're going to take a little break and we're going to come back and talk about those nine habits. And if our listeners would like to reach us, you can reach me at leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. And please reach out to John at john at johnblakey.co.uk. We'd love to hear from you. We welcome questions, comments, and anything you have to say. And we'll see you after the break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Higher education faces lots of changes. If you are a student, educator, or in the workforce, you'll want to tune into Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education. Your host, Dave Goldberg, and his guests will explore the innovations that higher education adopts as it reinvents itself. The world of higher education is constantly changing. Stay on top and stay ahead of the rest. Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education. Listen Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. How is your business running? It should be running smoothly with nary a hiccup, like a finely tuned machine. But if you're like most businesses, yours may be running nowhere close to that. Listen for Operationally Speaking with your host, Sergio Samel. Our program will help you to run your entrepreneurial business easier, better, with less frustration. And by running it well, you're sure to be poised for faster growth. Tune in every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Are you a business innovator or are you just sitting on the sidelines? Tune in every week for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Host Bonnie D. Graham talks to a cross-section of the movers and shakers who are leading by example. They will share best practices and innovative ideas to keep you thinking and moving along with the best. Join us for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP, Wednesday mornings at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business. You are listening to Leadership Beyond Borders. Do you have a question or comment about our show? Please send an email to leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Again, that's leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Now back to this week's program. Welcome back to Leadership Beyond Borders, the Voice America's exciting new series on the Business Network. In this series, we look at what role trust plays in leadership today. I am Kimberly Lewis, a seasoned executive leadership and diversity expert, and today we're talking with John Blakey, the author of Trusted Executive. John is joining us today from London, and I'm joining you from Prague in the Czech Republic. We're talking about how trust plays a role in leadership to this today. And in this segment, um, I'd like to now talk about 
the nine attributes, John, or the nine behaviors that you talked about before the break that support these three pillars of trust. Yeah, and and uh, before the break, we talked about this shifting world. You know that we're moving from this very uh, intellect-dominated, authoritarian world to this more uh, uh, a world of of head and heart uh, with with a slightly more holistic purpose for business. And and I think these habits reflect that. And as I just go through the nine habits, I just want to contrast one or two and and highlight how they differ now in this world to what maybe our habits were in the past. So under the pillar of ability, we have three habits. Um, we need to deliver. That's the first habit. And I don't think that's changed. You know, business is a performance game and we need to deliver results. Now, the second habit is coaching. Now, in the old world, our authority allowed us to tell people what to do. And our intellect meant that we had a bigger brain, so we had the right to tell them what to do. Now, in the new world of trust, people don't want to be told what to do. They don't believe in that model anymore. They want to be coached. And that's why coaching is our second habit. The third habit is being consistent, a third habit of ability, be consistent. Uh, again, in the old world, we could be unpredictable. We keep people on their toes, keep them guessing. Uh, nothing destroys trust like unpredictability. So we need consistent leaders. So those are our three habits of ability. Three habits of integrity, be honest. Yeah, we've always needed to be honest, but in this transparent world, we need to be ruthlessly honest. The bar on trust, uh, the bar on honesty has, has risen over the last 10, 15 years, uh, and we are being scrutinized on that habit uh, like, like never before as business leaders. The fifth habit, be open. Uh, being open involves showing vulnerability. Again, I was not trained as an alpha male masculine leader uh, to show vulnerability, but in terms of building trust in this new world, Vulnerability is a key word and key habit. Six habit, be humble. We have Jim Collins to thank for his work on humble and, and, and humility and how humility drives sustainable leadership. Um, being humble is a key component of, of trust. Our last three habits under the pillar of benevolence are maybe our three most intriguing habits. I'm going to start with habit number seven, which is evangelize. And people thinking evangelize, well, that's, that's a religious word, isn't it? But really, actually, all we mean by evangelize is, evangelize is spreading the good news. You know, in this world of 24-hour news that often is spun on a very negative, cynical, skeptical view of business, we business leaders need to get on the front foot and evangelize and spread the good news about what we and our businesses are doing in the world. The eighth habit, be brave. I don't mean physical bravery or personal bravery. I'm talking here about moral bravery, the idea that as business leaders, we self-sacrifice to put the wider good ahead of our own interests. And finally, the last and maybe the most provocative habit of all, be kind. Um, kindness is like a purple dye. One drop of it can change the whole atmosphere of trust. It is a very effective, affective habit. It's a habit of the heart. Uh, and kindness, I think, is something that is tiptoeing its way back into business life. And those leaders that really anticipate the moment to seize upon kindness as a catalyst for trust, I think, will do themselves and their businesses a great service. Well, when I when I look at these, those are those are nine great um, attributes. When I look at those, I, I still kind of divide in my mind that between head and heart a little bit, and and I'm trying to figure out how we then make that work. Because in, in my career, I've worked in many, many countries, um, some of them very task-based, such as um, Germany, Denmark, and some of them a little bit more relation bond-based, such as Israel, Brazil. And um, when I look at this, a, a lot of these are, are quite relationship-based, 
um, as opposed to task-based. So how do you start to, to take this circle and integrate it um, cross-culturally into countries where may be a little bit more task-based or relationship-based? Yeah, I think uh, certainly this model needs to flex to meet those different cultural conditions. I mean, it has this research has predominantly been done in a in an Anglo-Saxon business environment. Um, it is informed by those sorts of cultural norms, and if you take it into other uh, cultures, whether that be organizational cultures or, or country cultures, certainly things are going to, to flex. And I mean, you highlighted there that, you know, if we look at some of the key differences, yeah, in some cultures, um, trust is built primar- primarily from the task uh, perspective of you deliver the task and that's your that's your opening sort of gambit in terms of trust. And that would be very much that habit number one around deliver and helping others deliver, which would be habit number two, being consistent, very much those those the first three habits that we talked about. But if you go into a culture, whether it be an organizational one or a country one, where, uh, as you uh, indicated, there's a more of a relationship-based view that the first thing we need to do is build a relationship, and that's how we'll start to build the trust, then those uh, habits that uh, we talked about in terms of being kind, being open, being humble, those are the habits that you're more likely to lead with in order to initiate that trust building cycle. Now, I think that I think that in most cultures, at some point, each of these nine habits will come into play over time in a high trust relationship. I think it's more about the sequence in which they are introduced, the right starting point, um, and and how they how they each uh, play a role as a relationship is is built over a period of time. Do, do you have any? Do, have you done any work with this in any cross-cultural environments or in another culture that you could maybe give us an example of? Well, I think as I mean, one of the examples that you know we we could highlight is this habit of being open. You know, which is you know habit number number five. You know that that's you go into a culture like say let's take Germany as an example, and we're we're, we're going to generalize here, but I think you know that's you know hopefully people understand where. We're doing that just to try and explore the point. But in Germany, typically, in a business culture, you'd be very open to give uh, direct feedback. Um, and I've certainly been in working in, in you know that environment, and people quite willingly give very direct and open feedback. So being open is quite a natural thing to do in that business culture. Whereas if you go uh, to Korea, for example, um, you know that there'd be a very different approach to giving uh, open feedback to to colleagues and and other members of of your team um, particularly if there's some uh, power distance in terms of having senior and, and junior colleagues together in the same situation so that would be an example where you know that habit being open certainly would be uh, very differently experienced and you know habit number six being humble uh, you know in some cultures um, being humble uh, could be seen as uh, uh, you know, uh, m- less desirable, particularly in the early stages of a relationship, um, in, because cultures might be built more on on making that initial impact, and uh, there's more acceptability around um, what in some cultures we call might might call bragging, but in those cultures it's not considered to be um, an undesirable trait. So mm-hmm. I think I think these these habits need to be looked at very much uh, within the context of. Um, the, the business situation and as I said partly that's country but even within one country you're going to get business cultures that have very different history in terms of how these habits have traditionally been viewed. 
Mm-hmm. Yes, I, I I had to my my eye went my ears and eyes went immediately to the evangelize um, because kind of a funny story. I'm I, and I'm an American and I've been in Europe 22 years now, and the one thing I hear from a lot of my colleagues in the Germanic um, countries or in East Europe is, oh my gosh, the Americans always evangelize. Okay, mm-hmm. when they're when they're doing presentations, it's always a little bit too much. Okay, and so. <laughs> So I, um, you know, when I saw that, I said, uh, "Aha! I wonder what they're going to think of this." But I, I, I get your point. Um, I think these things all build trust, and that's very, very good. And and I'm what I'm hearing from you is that we need to emphasize, put different emphasis, or lead with one thing or another, depending on the company or depending on the culture. That's yeah, and, and you know, there's been some interesting work done um, by Richard Lewis, who, who wrote a book called When Cultures Collide, and he he talks about high trust and low trust societies, and uh, high trust societies, which he he cited as being uh, Japan, Finland, Denmark, Germany, USA. Um, what he means by high trust, he means uh, societies that have, tr- have developed trust in institutions. Um, uh, and he contrasted those with low trust uh, societies, and he talked about Korea, France, Italy, Taiwan, where he said the trust is is still predominantly based in the in the family um, and and friends sort of unit, and um, operating with these habits in high trust societies is going to be different to operating with them in low trust societies. So I think we you know trust is a dance. It's partly it's partly what we do with these habits. Um, that's our part of the dance. But then there's also uh, the willingness of the other party to trust us, you know, and that's their part of the dance. And there are many factors that influence that. And in different societies, you can have very different starting points in terms of um, what the academics call propensity to trust, you know, the, the actual willingness of people to trust you. Even if you demonstrated all these nine habits, you know, um, you, you're going to get different reactions. But the way I look at it is that our first job as leaders is to look after our own part of the dance. And, and these nine habits are our part of the dance. And if we get proficient and an expert at these habits, we're going to maximize the probability that we'll build trust, you know, in any environment that we're, that we're placed in. Mm-hmm. Can, can we touch on um, generational differences for a minute? Uh, I read a, a Washington Post article that said the millennials do not trust anybody. Okay, and I've seen yeah. I've seen studies that say that that they trust less than any other generation. Of course, they're the one they're the generation that's that's driving our economy right now. Um, do you have any comments or stories about that? <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I've read many. Uh, researches and statistics that that confirm that that um, the younger generations are more skeptical um, you know one of the things we have to I think realize is that they they've been they've lived in a, in a very transparent world um, they've had access to information the likes of which people of my generation didn't have access to I mean we believed what we were told and we were told a very small cross-section of what there was to tell but these people have had much greater access and unfortunately what they've discovered is a lot of the time they weren't told the truth and this has led, as, I think, a bred a cynicism and a skepticism that now they, they wear as a badge of pride. Um, and, you know, the de- default is that we don't trust you. Um, and, and our job as leaders is we've got to prove them wrong. But we're starting from a very different uh, starting point than, than I did when I first came into the workforce where my default was to trust my boss. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I have also read that maybe the Generation Z, Z, Z coming up is a little bit more trustworthy. Have you read any of that information? And, and it says that they, they're a little bit 
I said the millennials, part of the trust is the communication issues, okay, the change in technology, um, where information was coming from, and, and Zet hasn't really had any change in technology. Mm. They have grown up with the technology. Do you think the yeah. technology plays any role in this? Yeah, because technology has been the catalyst for transparency. You know, it's technology that has enabled us to have access to information on an unprecedented level. And I suppose that switch has been flicked in the last, you know, 20 years. And so the generations that cross that divide um, are maybe generations that have got, you know, the most uh, different views of the world. And maybe the generations that are coming behind that will will be more consistent because they've lived with that, that technology and that transparency from, from day one. Mm-hmm. But generally, what I'm hearing for you is still have a lot of work out there to do. Um, and my next question would be: Do organizations understand these issues of trust? Do they do they understand there are issues out there? I think more and more um, studies and more and more uh, books are being written by this. There's more and more press coverage of it. Uh, obviously, politically, what we've seen in you know in some of the Western economies in the last twelve months, politically, have, have also highlighted to the average person in the street that we've got a trust crisis, you know, in leadership, and we've seen that in in politics, where in my country, Brexit is largely many commentators are putting that down to a breakdown in trust in the establishment, and equally in in the U.S., you know, many people would cite the same reasons for Donald Trump being in the White House. So I think in politics. We see this playing out. We see it playing out in sport, uh, where we've had many uh, scandals in the, in the world of sport, and we see it in business. So, I think there's enough now. The the retaining wall of trust is 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 you know is beginning to uh, to creak and 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 uh, and collapse. And I think all of a sudden now this word is leaping into the mainstream, and it is much easier for people like me to get engagement with senior leaders because they now are worried that um, unless they give this some attention it's going to start affecting you know productivity and engagement and uh, and the ability to uh, to build brands uh, uh, you know in a in a global marketplace mm-hmm. okay um well that uh, thank you john and we're going to be taking another short break and i think when we come back from the break what i'd like to talk about is our part of the dance okay our part of the dance as leaders um can can trust can the can trust be some of these habits for trust be trained? Okay, um, what do we have to do in the organizations to to get people to realize this? What is our part and how we're going to play it? So when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about that. And for our listeners, if you please send your comments and questions to leadership. Beyond Borders at gmail.com and please reach out to John at john at johnblakey.co.uk. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24 7. How is your work-life balance? In most businesses, no matter where you are positioned, there is always room for improvement. If you're an executive, learn insight about your business. Are you an employee? Learn how to better work with your team. Even if you're not in business, you can learn where your strengths and weaknesses can be played to their best potential. The Work-Life Balance with host Rick Morris can be heard live every Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 
What is the forum? It's an engaged discussion with the forward-thinking experts in today's business world. Hosted by Seema Vasa, an entrepreneur and thought leader. This is a place where you can come to talk, ask, and trust. We're not looking to sell you anything, but we are here to tell you the truth. If you want to hear about honest perspectives and winning success stories, listen for The Forum, live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you're looking for an in-depth, thought-provoking discussion about leadership, Tune in to Bernard E. Robinson's The Leadership Forum, making an impact through effective leadership. Each program provides an intelligent, conversational experience about leadership from Bernard, his guests, and you. If you're interested in improving the quality of leadership in your organization, listen live every Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time for The Leadership Forum on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Leadership Beyond Borders. Do you have a question or comment about our show? Please send an email to leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Again, that's leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Now back to this week's program. Welcome back to Leadership Beyond Borders, the Voice America's exciting new series on the Business Network. In this series, we look at the future of leadership and some of the uh, some of the trends in leadership and leadership practices in this changing global economy. I'm your host, Kimberly Lewis, a seasoned executive and diversity leadership expert. And today, we're talking about trust with John Blakey and the author of The Trusted Executive. So in this segment, John, I would like to first follow up on our conversation before the break um, because we're talking about technology. And when we're talking about technology, one of the issues that we face as leaders today is a lot of our leadership is virtual, okay? And how, how do we gain virtual how do you gain trust in a virtual world? I mean, it's a little bit easier when I'm standing next to you, looking at you in the eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, but when when I'm managing you from thousands of kilometers away or thousands of miles away, um, how how do I gain trust in that situation? Well, the, the 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 bottom line of that, unfortunately, is that it's much much harder to build trust. Um, in those situations. So maybe the first things that leaders need to do who are leading virtual team is to recognize how big this challenge is to build trust amongst virtual teams and not to bury our heads in the sand and think that all the traditional ways and the business as usual ways of of building trust when you're working more face-to-face that that you can just get away with with carrying on in that fashion. I think uh, the trust building skills need to go up a completely new level in a virtual environment. Now, there are two skills that that I particularly highlight, two habits that I particularly highlight and recommend for leaders in virtual teams. I think the second habit um, we talked about, coaching. Uh, I think coaching is a very powerful habit to use when working with virtual teams, uh, particularly when those are, and as is often the case, they're cross-cultural teams uh, because coaching allows the leader to learn more about those people and what makes them tick and how they respond and therefore how they build trust and what 
how the dance of trust is actually developing. And if you coach, in other words, if you listen, if you ask questions, if you empower others, I think you're much more likely to get that trust equation, that very complicated trust equation right in a virtual setting. And that other habit, habit um, uh, five, is about being open that, you know, partly being open is, is talking about this and saying, you know, let's talk about trust. Let's let's talk about how we feel about and let's measure trust. Let's track trust over a period of time. Uh, let's be open to discuss this and really put it on the agenda. And I think that's one thing that virtual team leaders can do is to say, look, we're going to check in on this uh, every time we, we meet or, you know, every quarter we're going to uh, we're going to track trust. We're going to have um, surveys on trust, and we're really going to measure this because that's when we really, uh, you know, get to focus on it and uh, really get the feedback that allows us to move it in the right direction. Do Do you think leaders and people leading virtual teams maybe need more check ins to build trust as they would when they were managing directly in their office or nearby? Yeah, I think I think they need to be much more sophisticated in 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 their their focus on this topic. And and by sophisticated, I do mean um, measurement, tracking, discussion, really building a system around uh, the team that that allows trust to become um, baked into the the dialogue for leadership rather than it being assuming that trust will just miraculously emerge over a period of time because uh, in virtual teams that that's not the case uh, that the default will be distrust the default will be um, for, for teams to fragment and, and productivity to drop unless there is a very proactive sophisticated focus on this uh, this challenge mm-hmm. so uh, let, let me ask you this question um, you've just given some tips on, on leading virtual teams but in general do you believe that leaders can be trained to be more trustworthy well, I'm a coach. You know, I I, I coach. That is my uh, that is my vocation, and and I coach because I do believe that people can change. You know, I've I've seen I've been coached myself, and I've seen change in myself through that, and uh, and and I've seen change in others when I've worked with them through coaching. So I, I I'm a great believer in the power of coaching to change habits. Now, I don't think that reading a book changes habits. I don't think going on a training course changes habits on its own. Because I think that's all about intellect. That's all about cognitive knowledge. And unfortunately, most of us don't change just because we've got new knowledge. We, we need something that gets it in the muscle. And uh, the best uh, intervention that I know to do that is one-to-one coaching. Because one-to-one coaching can really get into the muscle of an individual leader and really look at what makes them tick, how they change, and, and hold them to account for developing new habits uh, over a period of time. So I think that uh, for me, yes, I think leaders can change, but I do think they need, uh, it needs an intense uh, focus, which is hard to deliver from simply traditional L&D activities. I, I, I am a great passionate believer in, in the power of, uh, of one-to-one coaching and team coaching to shift habits. And I think these sorts of habits are that deeply wired in most of us that we really need that type of support. But the good news is that if, if as senior leaders, we can change our habits, the research that I've been doing on trust says that other people around us copy us. You know, we are incessant imitators. And if senior leaders move their behaviors, move their habits, others around them will naturally move in the same direction. So the power 
of the senior leader is that they can create ripples of change throughout a culture. And if they're working on a habit of being consistent or being humble or evangelizing, then what happens is that other people just start picking it up in, in the atmosphere, you know, so that's the, that's the upside is that, you know, you can actually ripple out change, but it starts with you. And is, is this the same process for learning to be trusted as well as trying to rebuild trust? Because we have a lot of examples where, where trust has been lost. Okay. Do you go through the same process of gaining trust and regaining trust? Or is, are they two different processes? Well, what I um, recommend if there's been a situation where there's been a breach of trust, then I, I, I often invite people to look at which of those three pillars that we talked about earlier, ability, integrity, benevolence, which of those three pillars has cracked, because it will be one of the three. Um, and in terms of recovering from that situation, the other two pillars can often come to the aid of that situation. Now, if we, took, if we look at Volkswagen as an example, you know, Volkswagen had a, a crack in the pillar of honesty, you know, the, uh, part of the, the pillar of integrity. Their integrity was hit because of the scandal involving the uh, software uh, that, you know, emissions cheating software in their vehicles, vehicles around the world. So they took a hit in integrity. How do they recover from that? Well, it's tough and it's difficult, but if they focus on ability, in other words, if they fix the problem and they consistently seen to get back to delivering results and, and demonstrating that competence. And if they then focus on benevolence, in other words, doing the right thing by their stakeholders who have been damaged by that breach of integrity, and if they're brave and if they're kind and if they spread that good news, then there's a chance that Volkswagen will be able to recover from that breach of trust. So I think these three pillars and these habits can be looked at, you know, and you can diagnose where has the breach of trust happened? And therefore, which of the other habits and which of the other pillars can be brought to bear to uh, rebuild the trust that's being lost? I'm not saying it's easy, but I think that's one way of uh, that hopefully will help people and give people some hope that, you know, you can rebuild trust over time. Great example. Um, I think everybody knows that example with Volkswagen. So uh, we have a lot. We have a lot of listeners, um, and you you talked about coaching, and I completely agree. I think one to one coaching and team coaching is a great way to try to um, find these attributes within oneself. But we have a lot of leaders that are also probably can't engage in coaching at this time. So for those listeners out there that maybe cannot do that, what would you say would be the first steps that they can take so they can start moving themselves forward um, to be more trustworthy leaders? Well, I, I'd love them to read my book. Um, <laughs> that, that, would, that would be a great start. And, and, and um, I would definitely recommend it because it is fantastic. Okay, um, so... You know, but you know that 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 is a start. You know, you can you can get access to to knowledge through through books and articles. Now, now beyond that, I think, um, and, and one of the things that I you know I offer through through my website is a self assessment um, questionnaire based on these nine habits with twenty seven behaviors, so three for each habit, which allows you at the very least to get you know your own self assessment of where you think you are against uh, these habits right now. You can also then extend that you know and use three sixty feedback tools. Uh, in, for leaders and teams uh, and, and trust surveys for a whole organization that allows you to measure this. Because I think that, you know, that cliche about, you know, what, what gets measured is treasured. Uh, I think it applies to trust like it applies to anything else. 
15 years ago, we didn't know about employee engagement. We didn't measure employee engagement. And we thought it was some soft, fluffy thing that didn't, you know, you couldn't really get your hands around. Well, we now measure employee engagement routinely. And I think in 10 years time, we'll be measuring trust routinely. So those leaders that want to get ahead of the game, they can use these, uh, these surveys and these measurement tools to, uh, to start to track it and, and raise their awareness about what it, is, what it is and how it is working for them and, and their teams and their organizations. Would it, would it make any sense also after you've done this to then focus perhaps on, on one thing at a time? Um, I mean, I, we're all probably not good at everything and we're not bad at everything, okay? But, yeah. you know, to say, okay, I would like, I would like now to, you know, I've taken my test and, and I see maybe my, my challenge is that I may not be as open as I should be and then yeah. kind of focus on that and do step by step. Yeah, and that, and that's very much what I'm doing right now, Kimberly. I actually did the 360 feedback, my own 360 feedback tool on my own model, and I didn't realize that I, I was doing it to test the tool. But actually, I got some really useful feedback, which was a bit of a shock because, uh, you know, I, obviously it showed me that I got some good habits, but I got some bad habits. And and for example, being open is a habit that I'm working on right now because of that feedback. Um, so. You know, that's how it starts. I think, yeah, you get feedback. And as you say, you've got to focus then. You know, I'm not working on all nine habits. I'm working on, uh, you know, a couple of them at the moment. Actually, I'm working on being open and being kind. Those are the two where I think if I make a little step, I can make the most difference in my, you know, sort of trust quotient. Those are the ones that have got the most potential to shift the needle for me. And and so, as you say, I think it's, it's uh, get some feedback and then focus because since you'll make a bigger difference in some areas than, than in others, and we're all short of time and, and energy, and you know that, that's helpful for us in terms of making this a manageable task. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I think when you when you look at these, it, it you get a little scared. Okay, <laughs> you yeah. say, I mean, per, yeah. first you're all scared to take those tests. Okay, um, I don't yeah. know anyone who isn't. I mean, we do it, um, but we kind of do it with a cringed face, and uh, <laughs> and then we <laughs> then we get those results back, and you say, oh my gosh, I have seven six things to work on. Okay, from the nine, and and sometimes it makes a little bit more stagmentation and and you don't work on anything so mm-hmm. working on one at a, one at a time does make a lot of sense so when you're trying to develop yourself um and what about just a, a quick thing on employees because we've been talking about leaders and what you said was that this does cascade down to employees so behavior is copied but um is there anything employees can do um, uh, to try to uh, get a little bit more trust in their leaders? Well, I think um, managing upwards, you know, and, and uh, those relationships that we all have to manage, you know, we, we, with, we've, got, we've got peers, we've got team members, and we've, we've, we've all got people that, that we're accountable to. And uh, managing that relationship and building high-trust relationships, you know, up the tree as well as, down the tree. Um, the same uh, habits can be used to focus on those relationships in the same way that we could look at a client relationship or a supplier relationship. Um, now, the power dynamic is slightly different, you know, in terms of the starting point. But I still think uh, that uh, these habits and this model can be a useful um, framework to, to look at all of those aspects of those relationships. And, and very much now, you know, we're looking at a situation where when employees are being encouraged to to be leaders, you know, we, we, we live in a much more shared leadership model in a lot of organizations and therefore 
um, when I talk about leaders, uh, you know, I think that everybody has the opportunity to influence others. And by practicing these habits, they can create their own little ripples in their in their own team. You know, we, we're, we've all got that potential, I think, to be agents of change if we if we really have the will to um, to, to, to exercise leadership. Yeah. Well, that's great. Thank you for those last tips. Um, and John, thank you so much for being with us. And for our listeners, don't forget John's book is The Trusted Executive. It's on Amazon and Barnes and & Noble and other online sites. For those of you interested in getting in touch with John, you can reach him at johnblakely.co.uk. And with that, I'd just like to close to say we've heard about the three pillars that inspire trust, ability, benevolence, and integrity, as well as nine attributes and behaviors that encourage trust. But building trust, as we heard, is not easy. But what I find interesting, although we want to trust our leaders today, we very often continue to choose leaders that exert some behaviors exactly opposite to those we discussed, or even to take it a step further, we could actually say some leaders even exhibit behavior is completely opposite to what we need. And I'm reading many articles in the press today that are calling many leaders narcissistic. Many leaders are being labeled as narcissist, but I always ask, isn't a little bit of narcissism necessary in good leadership? In our next series, we're going to explore some of these behaviors and explore the role narcissistic behavior plays in leadership. We'll explore the pros and cons of this kind of behavior. We'll explore what is a healthy dose of narcissism in leadership and when does narcissism actually become a behavioral disorder. Our guest will be Dr. Anastasia Patterson, professor of the University of New York in Prague. She is conducting research in cross-cultural psychology, leadership traits and disorders, and currently research productive narcissism in leaders. Leadership Beyond Borders is a program sponsored by Global Business Therapy and the Women's Leadership Academy 2020 and Ponytail Talk Executive Coaching for Women. We provide leadership training, systemic team coaching certification, motivational speaking, and much more. If you'd like to contact me, Kimberly Lewis, please send me a mail at leadershipbeyondborders at gmail. Visit our website at leadershipbeyondborders.net. Please also like us on Facebook at Leadership Beyond Borders Ponytail Talk or on Twitter at Kimberly Lewis at Leadership GBT. Once again, John, thank you so much. You were a great guest. And my, yeah, my leadership word for the day is trust. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on Leadership Beyond Borders. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 3 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Kimberly J. Lewis, on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.